Perception. Perception is reality. Reality. Perception is reality. Reality. Some talk shows think all of their opinions are right. This one, this one knows they are. This is Perception is Reality. Christopher H. Bilbury is a no-nonsense, well, maybe a little bit of nonsense, political activist, local government watchdog, and all-around good Hoosier and God-fearing American citizen. Is this guy for real? Holding lawmakers accountable and educating citizens on the importance of participating in their local government with a dab of national and world politics and a little pop culture and maybe some real-life common sense. This, this is, is Perception is Reality. And this is Christopher H. Bilbrey. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this 123rd episode of Perception is Reality. I'm your host, Christopher H. Bilbrey. It's great to be with you. Thanks for giving me a little bit of your time. We have a really big show planned for this episode, specifically if you live, work, and play and vote in the great state of Indiana. If you or anyone you know lives, works, plays, and votes in Indiana, you will want to share this episode with them. We will be joined with the Libertarian candidate running for governor of the state of Indiana, Donald Rainwater. He'll be joining us just momentarily. He's been on the show twice before. Those interviews, if you haven't heard them, they're great interviews. He was on during episode 101 back in May and episode 109 sometime in June, I believe. The links to those episodes will both appear in the summary of this episode, so you can go there and click to hear those episodes if you haven't. And trust me, you will want to listen to them. Don't just not listen to those. You will want to listen to the first two interviews as well, I promise. Before we go any further, I do want to remind you to share the show with everyone you know. Let them know we can be found on all major podcast hosting sites. Wherever you or they listen to your favorite podcasts, we're there. They can search Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey, but the easiest way is to simply look on the internet and search for Bilbrey Podcast. That's B-I-L-B-R-E-Y Podcast. It will pull us right up. Also, check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Bilbrey318 or by searching Christopher H. Bilbrey on Facebook. There the conversation always continues. I put out written material along with different links as well as seven days a week I release a live video episode at 8.35 p.m. I call it live at 8.35. You won't want to miss that. All right, so this 123rd episode is, in my opinion, a very big episode specifically for Hoosiers, like I said, for voters in the state of Indiana. No matter where Where you live in Indiana, this is a big episode. We are currently less than 30-some days until the election, and never before has an election mattered so much for the state of Indiana. I hate when people say that normally. Oh, this is the biggest election there ever has been. (sighs) That's always true, because every election is the election that we're in, and the elections before don't matter, and the elections in the future, well, they won't matter till they get here. But... I really feel that right now on lots of levels. The national level, absolutely. Local levels in various communities that I'm following, absolutely. But definitely for those of us that are Hoosiers, 
for those listeners that vote in Indiana, that live, work, and play in Indiana, I don't know that there has been an election for governor that has been more important than this 2020 election. We have three choices to pick from, and really that boils down to we have two choices. We can choose to elect a Republican or a Democrat, which is basically the same choice, or we can go a different direction. We can vote for and elect a Libertarian, and I know that thought kind of scares some people. That's what the point of this episode is going to be about, and the point of the other two interviews with Rainwater, so that you can see he's a normal guy, he cares about the state, he has really good ideas, and that if you really thought about it, his ideas really make sense to a lot of us, because it's common sense. Folks, 2020 has been a year like no other year that any of us alive have ever seen. In the world, in the nation, but specifically here in the state of Indiana. And it's not over by a long shot yet, folks. And with that in mind, we need a leader in the state of Indiana. And let's face it, the Republican incumbent governor, Eric Holcomb, well, he's not that leader. And I honestly don't think that the Democrat challenger, Dr. Woody Myers, I don't think he is that leader either. But listening to and researching the Libertarian candidate, Donald Rainwater, I think he could be that leader. Look at it like this real quick. In the year 2020, we have had 10 months of just off-the-wall craziness, just nonstop. And I'll be real honest, I think the rest of the time that Eric Holcomb has been governor, it's all been horrible. But I'm not even focusing on that. I'm just focusing on the 10 months that we've had so far of the year 2020. And in these 10 months of 2020, we have needed action. We have needed a leader to step up. And in this time, we have been able to see the leadership style and the action plan of Governor Eric Holcomb. And by that, I mean there is no plan of action, and he has no leadership style or no leadership ability. He is basically ineffective as governor of the state of Indiana. Let's look back real quick at what we've had to deal with so far in 2020. A global pandemic that hit hard here at home. Social unrest, riots, burning, destruction, and death in the capital city of Indianapolis. Our economy has come to a screeching halt in large part because of Governor Eric Holcomb. And the bottom line is his inaction, his inability to be a leader, and the way that he's handled other issues throughout his time as governor of Indiana has let me see and hopefully has caused you to come to the realization that Indiana will not survive four more years of Eric Holcomb as our governor. Okay, so we're not going to reelect Governor Eric Holcomb, the Republican incumbent. Well, what say you, Democrat challenger Dr. Woody Myers? What do you have to offer? What do you have to to say. Oh yeah, that's right. You've not had much to say. You and your team have been running the ghost campaign. Well, that leaves us with one last choice. 
And as it turns out, that last choice just happens to be the very best choice for the state of Indiana. That choice? Libertarian candidate Donald Rainwater. And because he's my choice, and because he should be your choice, I figured it would be a good time to have him on again for a third interview to talk about points that we haven't covered in the other two interviews and to maybe rehash some important points from the other interviews so that you could make a more informed decision and we could spread the word on why this election is so important. So we're going to take a really quick break. But when we come back, we'll be joined on the phone with candidate Rainwater. He'll be talking to us about the last 30-some days of the election. He'll be answering some listener questions. And we'll be getting to the heart of the matter as to why he deserves your vote for governor of the state of Indiana. You're listening to episode 123 of Perception is Reality. I'm Christopher H. Bilbrey. We'll be right back. I asked what kind of family she wanted. She said, a family like yours. Learn more about adopting a teen at AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Now we go on the record with a one-on-one interview designed to engage, entertain, or enrage you. Perception is reality. On the record. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Perception is Reality. This is episode 123. I'm your host, Christopher H. Bilbrey. It's good to be with you. And we are currently joined on the phone for his third appearance on Perception is Reality, Libertarian candidate Donald Rainwater running for governor of the state of Indiana. Don, it's good to be with you. Thank you for joining us and talking with us today. Well, it's great to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity. I'm not sure I've had uh, a whole lot of third dates, let alone uh, three (laughs) podcast appearances. Well, you know, I don't know how many other guests we've had on uh, more than, say, two times, but if we're going to have someone on three times or more, I'm glad that it's you, and I'm, I'm glad that we have you here. Look, this is the way I feel about it. What we're currently facing in the state of Indiana in this election is dire straits, and I really believe in you, your campaign, and your your principles, your platform. I see where Indiana has been. I see where we're currently at. And I see and fear where we may be going. Although I also have a goal in mind of where Indiana could be. I have a dream and a vision of where we could be. And I feel that your campaign your platform, your vision, your ideas can get us closer to the vision of Indiana that I have in my head versus where your opponents would more than likely take us. And because of that, and because I believe in your campaign so much, and I have a lot of faith in what you guys are trying to do, I definitely wanted to touch base with you again and give you a chance to speak to my listeners and and 
and hopefully help in whatever way I could getting your message out there. And probably a good place to start is since we talked last sometime in the end of May, the beginning of June, I believe, you've really been picking up a lot of momentum. It's kind of like a snowball rolling downhill. You guys are starting to gain a lot of momentum. You guys are really picking up in speed and you're doing a lot of good work and a lot of good things are coming your way. So why don't we start there? Tell us how you've been doing since we spoke last. Well, I guess maybe I'll work backwards from the how we're doing where I think we're doing really well. The uh, outpouring of support from Hoosiers who believe in limited government and self-rule and individual freedom has been phenomenal. I think the last time we had spoken um, was before the incumbent uh, attempted to roll out a mask mandate with a criminal penalty. Yes. That was a huge day for our campaign. Within the first 48 hours after he suggested that he was going to unconstitutionally attach a criminal penalty to a, a an executive order, we had almost a thousand requests for yard signs, <laughs> which was something that I wasn't personally expecting that many yard sign requests in that short a period of time. And so we started building out a much more robust campaign team. Uh, and to be honest with you, I couldn't tell you how many people, uh, all volunteers, uh, that we currently have on the campaign team. But one of the things that I think uh, sets us apart from um, most what we'll call old party campaign teams uh, is the fact that we don't pay our folks. They're all volunteers. Sure. We're getting ready to do phone banking. Uh, we have folks that have volunteered to uh, make phone calls for us. We have folks that have volunteered to do door to door. You know, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners are aware that, you know, a lot of the door to door folks are normally paid by the big campaigns. We've got folks who are, what can I do? How can it, can I go door to door? Can I call people on the phone? Yeah. How can I help? And they're not expecting anything in return, but better government instead of bigger government. Sure. So, this growth in uh, volunteerism, the growth in the, the size and scope of uh, our campaign, um, we're currently averaging uh, about a, a $1,000 in donations a day, which wow. here again for a libertarian statewide campaign in Indiana, that's tremendous. Yeah, uh, We've had some um, large donations and, and uh, in about a week's time, about a week ago, we raised uh, about $150,000 in, in that one week. Yes. And that put us in a position to do things that libertarian candidates haven't been able to do before. Sure. So we've got radio ads going out all over the state. Uh, we just uh, put out our television, ad, our first 30-second uh, television ad. So things have really... Um, exponentially grown uh, over the last, I would say, 30 to 45 days. Right. And it's all because 
I believe that Hoosiers are tired of the status quo in government, and they're tired of people in government who are, are basically uh, saying one thing and doing another, and they're looking for the right message. And I believe that we are uh, in the, the right place at the right time with the right message. Absolutely. You know, one of the things here that I say all the time is better government through citizen involvement. And that's one of my main priorities of the show is, yeah, I have an opinion. Yeah, I like to push the opinion out there. And yes, I want people to listen to what I say and possibly follow it. But more than that, I want people to get educated. I want them to get active. I want them to get involved. And I want them to just to do, to get out there and do what they want to do politically. Yes, if it's the way that I go, that's even better. But if they're going out there and they're doing something, they're getting involved, they're working for a campaign, and they're voting, even if it's against the way that I am going, that's what matters. I want people to get involved. But I have to say, I have seen in the last couple weeks an absolute explosion of people on social media with the banners for their profile pictures with, I support Donald Rainwater, Rainwater for Indiana, or some kind of libertarian banner that has something to do with you in it, and I think that's a really good sign. So I just absolutely love to hear that your campaign is picking up all of these volunteers. Now, I will say, I think that they're doing that out of a necessity to to try to push the state in a better direction because Indiana is in a world of hurt right now and I kind of feel like that maybe other people are seeing hey, we're heading for a cliff and if we don't do something, we're in trouble. And so if these people are getting involved because they feel that way, well, that's good because hopefully it will lead to some change and I'm really excited. And I agree that. with you. And one of the things that I've kind of been asked several times, well, what do you attribute this to? And I say, well, first of all, we need to look at the fact that over the last decade in the state of Indiana, uh, voter turnout has been declining steadily. Yep. And I believe that the reason for that, to a great extent, is rooted in the sentiment that Mark Twain used when he said if voting mattered, they wouldn't let us do it. <laughs> Yeah, I think a lot of Hoosiers feel like it doesn't matter who I vote for. I'm going to get the same big government solution. So why vote? Because it doesn't matter who I vote for. Right. I, I've compared uh, the my two opponents to a Twix candy bar. <laughs> you know, you watch the Twix commercials and they, they're arguing over, you know, which one's better, the left Twix or the right Twix. <laughs> but they're both still Twix. <laughs> yes. And they're not really different. But they think they're different. Right, right. But we all know that they're not. They're the same. Sure. And I think that's what we have, you know, that's kind of what we have is we have the, the, the two big government guys and people say, well, yeah, you know, why vote? You know, and I don't know whether we mentioned this previously uh, in any of our other conversations, but I think it was almost two million registered voters in Indiana didn't vote for governor in 2016. 
That's a lot of registered voters not voting. It sure is a lot of people left on the table. And and here again, I think, well, you know, right Twix or left Twix, what difference does it make? But suddenly when they say, hey, there's a peanut butter cup over here. <laughs> right. That, now they can get excited. Yes. Right? Yeah. And, and so when, yeah. when there's a small, limited government option, when there's somebody saying, hey, we need to get control of government again. We need to make government accountable to the people again. And we need to start making government protect our individual rights, not infringe on them at every turn. People's ears perk up because they're not used to hearing that message. Sure. What they're used to hearing is, we're going to raise your taxes and give you this. We're going to raise your taxes and give you that. And what we're saying is we're going to give you your tax money back. We're going to cut the fraud, waste, and abuse, the corruption. We're going to go in there. We're going to reduce the budget instead of just inherently uh, increasing it every time we do it. We're going to start figuring out what the government needs to provide the services that it is supposed to provide to the people of Indiana, and then start giving you your money back, making sure that Hoosiers have money in their pocket. We're in an economic crisis today like we've never seen before. Sure. And small business owners, most uh, all sole proprietors, most LLCs, partnerships, they pay their business taxes through their individual tax return. So what better way to invigorate the economy in Indiana than to eliminate the individual income tax so that small business owners can reinvest that money in their business, which will then allow their businesses to grow, which will create jobs. Sure. You know, that that is such a more long-term, strongly rooted economic foundation than let's give tax abatements to large corporations from out of state or even more out of the country. And they come here and they bring jobs, but then when somebody offers them a better tax abatement 10 years down the road, they're gone. Right. And so, you know, I think people are looking for, uh, here again, to get out of the status quo. And we've been in the status quo of big government for so long. And, and you know, it doesn't matter how many times Somebody tells you, I'm your friend, but they steal from you every time sure. they come to your house, right. that you realize, you know, maybe this person's not my friend. <laughs> and when right. government says, oh, we're here for your benefit, but all they do is steal your money and spend it in ways that don't benefit you, sure. then you have to stop and go, wait a minute, how is this government benefiting me? And that's the thing I've started asking people is just ask yourself the question, am I really better off today than I was four years ago? Yes. <clears throat> right now, are my taxes lower? Do I, do I have uh, a, a better situation economically and, and socially? And are, are things the way I want them to be? Are we better off today than we were in 2016 in the state of Indiana? And I think that's an important question to ask, that, that people have to ask themselves. What 
has this government done for me lately? Oh, man, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. That's something that I've said for a long time on this podcast, that when you go to vote, you have to ask, am I better off now than I was at this time four years ago? or two years ago if it's the congressional races, but that's exactly it. If you're better off than you were four years ago, well then hell, if the same people are running, maybe you should reelect them. If you're about the same, then it's a toss-up. But if, if you're in a worse position now than you were four years ago, well, maybe you really need to take a look at what you're doing and you need to vote to throw those bums out. Uh, you know, that I might be crazy. Uh, okay, real quick, something that we touched on a little bit in the second interview was the recalls and impeachment. You know, basically for those that haven't heard that yet or for those that are just tuning in for the first time, in the state of Indiana, we don't have a law or policy for impeachment or for recall or removal of an elected official. Basically, when someone is elected to a political office, they hold that seat or they hold that office until their term runs out or they decide to leave or step down, resign, retire, whatever, or if, God forbid, they die while in office or if they are convicted of a felony. But as you talked about in the last interview, you would like to work with the General Assembly to create a law that would give Hoosiers the chance to have officials recalled if they so needed. Could you go a little bit more in detail in what you're wanting to do there? I think it's brilliant, and we definitely need this, but I've had a couple listeners ask about this. Sure. I'm sure that there are recall mechanisms in other states that have a lot of varying details, but I believe that the basic premise is very simple. You as a municipality, let's 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 use a, a, a town or a city. You have somebody that uh, ran on a certain platform and when they get into office, uh, it's obvious that they're just not doing anything. Yep. And you want them out. You want to recall them. We need to have a system whereby you can go around and collect a certain number of signatures. And I, and I don't have an, a definitive number in my head for, sure. for different levels. I think these are things we have to research and, and we have to work here again with members of the General Assembly and say, how do we, you know, what makes sense? The citizens should be able to say, we've collected X number of petition signatures to have a recall vote. And then you put that recall vote on the ballot. Sure. And at that point, if the recall passes, then you're going to have to have more and more than likely have to have a special election. Yeah. To, uh, because one of the things I don't like, and, and I'll be honest, it's because I'm a libertarian. Um, I don't like the idea that when citizens elect an official, that if that official resigns or, or for whatever reason leaves office, mm. that their party 
gets to pick their replacement. Yeah. Because I don't believe elections should be we're electing a party. That's why I don't like straight ticket voting. Because you're not electing a party. You're electing people. And you should know before you push the button that I'm voting for this person. And I'm voting that this person is going to do what they say they're going to do. And so if that person is not able, for whatever reason, to complete their term, the people should vote to replace that elected official. It shouldn't fall to a group of people behind closed doors who are an organization to pick the replacement. So I would, here again, what I would do is I would, at the very least, uh, have a, uh, a petition requirement that, uh, falls into a a percentage of the 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 total number of registered voters within a particular area um, and and then use that as the mechanism for a recall vote and if the members of that area say yes we want to recall this official because they're just not doing the job then you would have them turn around and do a special election to elect a replacement. Sure. That would be my concept of how we would go about doing that. Because that also puts into place uh, some necessary protections to make sure that just a few people can't get together because they didn't like something. Right. And cause the whole system to be uh, thrown into upheaval. You'd have to have a good reason to want to get rid of. I think that's fantastic. Mass mandate with a criminal penalty. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes, you're right, 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 right. Very good, very good. All right, moving on, I want to ask you a question about the social unrest that we're seeing all throughout the nation, but that we have definitely seen here at home in Indiana. It's definitely been an issue for the city of Indianapolis, and the governor currently has taken a lot of heat for his inaction, and people are very concerned because it just seemed as though he laid down and did nothing. And I want to preface this by saying, in my line of work, what I do and how I feel about the government and citizens engaging with the government, look, I completely understand citizens' rights to protest. And I will stand up and fight for a citizen's right to protest any and every day. The First Amendment is a very important staple in my life, okay? So I have no problems with protests. It's when those protests turn into riots. It's when those protests become violent and become destructive that I have an issue. And I feel like a lot of Hoosiers right in Indianapolis, right in the heart of the state, feel as though they have been let down by the current governor, and folks are wanting to know what your stance on this is, what your view on the social unrest is, and how, if you were governor, you would handle what we've seen in Indianapolis over this past summer. Sure. So let me first of all preface this 
or, or put some context around this, one of the foundations of libertarianism is the non-aggression principle. And the non-aggression principle basically states that you do not, through force or fraud, hurt someone else or take or damage their stuff. And that's, you know, some people talk, call, about, call it the golden rule. Yeah. Uh, I have, you know, growing up, you know, I was taught, uh, you know, love thy neighbor as thyself. It doesn't matter what context you draw that in. I believe that constitutionally, one of the, one of the things a limited government is responsible for is securing the rights of the individual. Right in the Declaration of Independence, and Absolutely. I say this all the time, Jefferson said, to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. So I don't care whether you live in a town, a city, a rural area. I don't care what local government you have in your area. Every person living within the state of Indiana, I believe, is a Hoosier. And the governor's responsibility is to secure these rights for Hoosiers. So, I also believe that the First Amendment says that everyone has the right to peaceably assemble. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter whether I agree with what you're peaceably assembled to protest, what your grievance against the government is, you have the right to peaceably protest. Yeah. But the minute that that peaceable protest turns into a violation of the non-aggression principle, now we have criminal activity. Sure. I believe that looting and rioting is criminal activity. I believe that the purpose of the police department is to defend the rights, the people and property of those people, and that if it had been me, let's, let's assume for a minute, let's just assume, that there was not any indication that the first night was going to turn into criminal activity. Okay. We'll give them the first night. Sure. But on the second night, I would have had the state police down here protecting the protesters and protecting the people and their property here in the state of Indiana. Sure. The idea that the governor's job is only to protect state property, <laughs> to me, is a failure to understand the responsibilities of the governor. Yes, sir. Now, here again, I don't. I also believe that it is incumbent upon us to ensure that our protections do not become aggressive. You only use the necessary force to stop the aggression. If people are peaceably protesting, you protect them and let them protest. Yeah. Here again, whether you like what they're protesting or not. Right. Yeah. But the minute that, uh, and, and that's why I think, you know, one of the things that we have to do a better job of is making sure that our, our police departments are trained in how to defuse those situations with the least amount of force necessary. Right. Now. That doesn't mean we don't use force when necessary, because being a Second Amendment proponent and libertarians being, uh, I'm not aggressing against you. Uh, I don't know whether you got whether you and your your uh, folks, your your followers, have noticed, 
but the libertarian animal is the porcupine. Yes. So, so you've got the elephant, the donkey, and the porcupine. And the concept behind the porcupine is, I'm not going to bother you, but if you try to mess with me, I'm going to give you the pricks. <laughs> okay. I'm going to stick it to you. Right? Okay. But I'm not going to come after you. I'm just going to make sure that if you try to come after me, you're going to regret it later. And that's the concept that I believe that we have to instill that all Hoosiers need to have their rights protected. And that we need to make sure that when, when a group is protesting, that we get the appropriate amount of protection deployed for that protest. Those protesters have the right to protest safely. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the minute somebody dumps a pallet of bricks in downtown Indianapolis, or somebody pulls a, a skateboard out of a, a, a backpack and smacks a window and breaks a window, the people perpetrating the violence need to be apprehended and prosecuted. Period. End of sentence. Sure. I feel like a majority of the people, both on the left and the right, and of course down the middle, believe what you're saying there makes the most amount of sense. Let me ask you a question that I have noticed has been cropping up on social media as it relates to you, and it's something that hasn't made a whole lot of sense to me. I've seen a lot of people asking you or whoever runs your Facebook page, if you were voting for or supporting Donald Trump in his bid for re-election uh, to the office of president, and it's not made a whole lot of sense to me because obviously there is a libertarian candidate running for president, and so if anybody would really stop and think about it, of course you're supporting that libertarian candidate. That being said, I guess the better question would be, if Donald Trump is reelected and beats your candidate and beats the Democrat candidate, will you work with President Trump? Or on the flip side of that, what's your thought about supporting the Democrat candidate? Where do you fall there if the Democrat candidate beats your candidate and or Donald Trump? Yes. Let, let, me, let me first of all say this, because I'm sure that this will uh, quell some of the concern. I do not have Trump derangement syndrome. Sure. Okay? I am not a never-Trumper. I support and defend the Constitution of the United States from all enemies, foreign and domestic, and I support the President of the United States as long as they are not violating the Ninth or Tenth Amendment. Yes. And I have said, and I will continue to say, because I believe it is so very important, that limited government doesn't just apply to the state of Indiana. Limited government needs to apply to, apply to the federal government as well. And when I am elected governor, I will grab the Ninth Amendment with one hand, the Tenth Amendment with the other, and tell the federal government to back up. Because I believe that the federal government has become too big, too powerful, and that we have allowed the 
Constitution, which is the, the fence around the federal government yes. that limits its power to fall down because that fence is made up of 50 panels, if you will, Yeah, the 50 states. And so what we've done is the 50 states have just kind of abdicated their responsibility to hold the federal government accountable. The federal government has grown willy-nilly all over the place and has trampled all over the 50 states. And what we've got to do is prop those states back up and say, no, 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 no. The federal government needs to stay within its limits and we're going to hold it accountable. But somebody's got to be the first state to do that. And I fully intend to make Indiana that first state. So here again, I will work with whomever is the president as long as they are working on the same constitutional limited government that I am. Which, of course, uh, eliminates one of the three people running for president. (laughs) And it's not Joe Jorgensen or Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Right, 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 right. Because they want anything but limited government. That's exactly correct. Okay, moving right along, let me ask you now a question based off of current events. So the most horrible train wreck of a presidential debate occurred just the other evening, and most of us have watched that, and we all kind of cringed in horror at how horrible both sides, along with the moderator for that fact, was in that debate. However, there was a question that came up that has become a hot-button issue, and it's a question that people are asking candidates and officials all across the board, so I figure I will shoot the question out to you. As far as a candidate running for governor of the great state of Indiana, where do you come down on white supremacy and Antifa, the the thoughts of the far left and far right. What do you have to say about all that? Do you denounce white supremacy? Do you denounce Antifa? Where are you with that debate? You know, knowing that I'm a libertarian and knowing what we're trying to achieve is a society where we practice the non-aggression principle, obviously, and, and, and I'm going to kind of take that and then also say this. I believe that racism, sexism, all of these hateful discriminations, mm-hmm. when there's violence attached, here again, you can, you, you, know, you can think to yourself what you want, but when you start hurting other people, when you start damaging people's lives and their property because you have hate, that is unacceptable. I denounce all racism, sexism, all of those things are wrong. And there is absolutely no place for the type of violence that we have seen out of, uh, out of people for decades, if not hundreds of years. Right. Uh, there's just no place for it. Now, with that being said, I also want to say this, because I think this is terribly important. People who perpetrate those types of actions, I believe they have evil in their heart, and you cannot use government to change someone's heart. And I believe that we have to be very careful not to, here again, try to use government as a sword or a hammer instead of a shield. We need to protect people's rights. Which means here again, if somebody perpetrates an act of violence, whether it's against a person or their property, they need to be held accountable for that, period. And when a person perpetrates an 
act of violence against another person, the person needs to be held accountable. One of the big problems that we have developed in our society is the idea that when someone does something wrong, we want to blame a whole group of people that they fall into. Right. And that's part of the problem. We're not holding individuals accountable for their actions, which is why, and you haven't asked, but I'm going to say it now. Again, we cannot protect the rights of individuals without the appropriate policing. I am absolutely against this concept of defunding police. That does not help protect people's individual rights. But when a police officer oversteps their authority, their responsibility to protect and serve, and they commit an act of violence against someone, they must be held personally accountable. Sure. We have to make sure that we don't allow anyone to get away with harming others or other people's property. I couldn't have said it better myself. That was a great answer. Thank you. All right, we need to step away for a real quick break. However, we do have a lot more to get into. Ladies and gentlemen, we are speaking with Mr. Donald Rainwater, the Libertarian candidate for governor of the state of Indiana. I'm Christopher H. Bilberry. You're listening to the 123rd episode of Perception is Reality. We'll be right back. Perception. Perception Perception is is reality. Reality. Folks, are you tired of drinking that bland, nasty coffee from the store? Or are you tired of spending $25 on a cup of coffee from that other place? You need to go over to fruitofthebean.com and check out what these folks offer. They have whole bean and ground coffee for those of you that don't have a coffee grinder at home. They offer single origin coffees from South and Central America, from Africa, from Asia and other wonderful locales around the world. In addition to having flavored coffees, they have a supercharged breakfast blend. So no matter if you're a morning time drinker only, or you're drinking that cup of joe throughout the day, like several people that I know to give you that boost of energy, check out Fruit of the Bean Coffee at fruitofthebean.com because not only are they trying to give you the freshest cup of coffee possible. But they are also concerned for those most in need in our world, the orphans and those affected by human trafficking. Check out their story and their coffees by visiting fruitofthebean.com. And while you're there, enter Perception as the promo code for 25% off. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. This is episode 123 of Perception is Reality. I'm your host, Christopher H. Bilbrey, and we are currently joined on the phone with the Libertarian candidate for governor of the state of Indiana, Mr. Donald Rainwater. Don, it's great to have you with us on the show today. Now, before we went to break, we were talking about your thoughts on the whole push to defund the police. 
and you had stated that you were not in favor of defunding the police, that the police are important, and that they are needed to help secure individual citizens' rights, whether it be the rights over their own bodies or their families or the rights over their property. You also went on to state that if a police officer abuses their authority, if a police officer steps over the line, that they should be dealt with just as any private citizen would be dealt with if they do something that is inappropriate, that steps over the line, or that is illegal. And all of that kind of leads us into the next question that was actually put forth by a couple different listeners, and that is your thoughts on the criminal justice system and any possible criminal justice system reforms that you might have. Obviously, as a libertarian, you're for limited government and limited intrusion into citizens lives. However, as we all know, from time to time, citizens commit crimes, they commit violence, they put themselves in positions where they have to be dealt with with the criminal justice system. Can you talk a little bit about your thoughts on that criminal justice system and talk to us about any reforms that you might have? Absolutely. Again, as a, a libertarian, one of the things that, that uh, libertarians believe is that if there is no victim, there is no crime. So here again, if you didn't hurt somebody else, if you didn't damage their property, and let's use an example, if you're driving down the road and you're not wearing your seatbelt, as far as I'm concerned, there is no victim there, so there should be no crime, right? Right. Now, that also applies to you know, things that, you know, a lot of people, uh, when, when I say, hey, you know, I believe that uh, everybody who's been convicted of a, a nonviolent cannabis-related offense should be let out of jail, and everybody who's been convicted of that type of nonviolent cannabis-related offense should have their record expunged. A lot of people don't agree with that, but here again, we have way too many people incarcerated in the state of Indiana, and we're spending way too much taxpayer money to have way too many prisons <laughs> where people are, the taxpayers are paying for people to be locked up because they did something where there's no victim. Sure. And we need to remedy that situation because, you know, unfortunately, whether we like it or not, government has in the past been used to unequally target certain things, and we need to fix that. Absolutely. Uh, there is way too much money spent on a prison system that, first of all, is a mess, and, and everybody knows it. Yeah. Right? People who... Uh, people who shouldn't be in there are sure. in there, right. and people who should be right. in there aren't in there. <laughs> yes. And here again, we need to apply that non-aggression principle a lot better than what we have. Right. And we need to apply that uh, that concept that uh, if there is a victim, there is a crime, and I don't ha care how much money you have or how good a lawyer you can pay, if you committed a crime against somebody, you should have to pay for it. Sure. I also believe that we would have a much better 
criminal justice system if instead of mandatory minimums for certain sentences, we looked at the idea that part of any criminal activity has to be restitution. Right. You need to make some, if you have damaged someone's property or you have harmed them, you need to make them as whole as you possibly can. Now, there are some things you obviously cannot put, pardon me, a dollar sign on a life. Sure. But you can most certainly say that uh, if if you go out here and you kill somebody and they're 40 years old and their life expectancy was, let's say, 80, and they were going to earn X amount of dollars on average, you can calculate what you took oh, yeah. from that person's family. And you can make that as restitution. And I guarantee you, if we started doing that, there would be a lot of people thinking twice, no matter how good a lawyer they had. Sure. Absolutely. Very good. So those are things. And here again, you know, there are people out there a lot smarter than me who know what the, the nuts and the bolts in criminal justice reform need to happen. But... I think there are some basic, obvious things. We, we just have to do a better job, and we have to be more honest with each other. Right. That, hey, this isn't working. This isn't right. Uh, somebody who uh, commits certain crimes probably should not be allowed back out into society. Other people are in jail and shouldn't be, and we need to fix that. I absolutely concur with your thoughts on criminal justice reform. All right, moving on, I have a question here from a longtime listener and fan of the show and of yours truly, honestly. She's wanting to know about your thoughts on removing standardized testing from the schools as well as finding other ways to evaluate teachers. Can we spend some time talking about this for a moment? Well, first of all, let me say this. And, and a lot of people have said you can't eliminate standardized testing <laughs> because if you do, you lose federal funding. And I refer back to when I said I'm going to grab the Ninth Amendment with one hand uh -huh. and the Tenth Amendment with the other until the federal government stepped back. Uh, the federal government, in my opinion, has no constitutional authority to dictate education policy in the state of Indiana. Sure. We've let them do it because we want the money that they took from our citizens. And evidently, we don't have the backbone to have our attorney general file suit to say the federal government doesn't have the authority to withhold taxpayer dollars because we won't do what they say. So let me, let me just make that clear. I, I believe we need to tell the federal government, you don't tell us what to do, we tell you what to do. Sure. That's the way the Constitution is written. Yes, sir. Then I, I'm going to tell people that I have never met two children, not even identical twins, that were exactly the same. 
Therefore, I believe that there's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all education solution that benefits every student in the state of Indiana. And that standard, statewide standardized testing is a one-size-fits-all solution that isn't even designed to help the child. It's there to politicize the relationship between the state government and the Indiana State Teachers Association. And I believe that it damages the child because instead of getting actual education, they have teachers who have been threatened with uh, adverse actions if the kids in their class don't do well enough on the test, and therefore they spend an inordinate amount of time trying to prepare the children for the test instead of teaching them something. And frankly, as a parent in the state of Indiana, that upsets me greatly. Right. And I don't think it's the teacher's fault. I think here again, government is not the solution to the problem. <laughs> government is the problem. Yeah. So we need to get rid of the statewide standardized test. This didn't exist in the 60s, 70s. I don't think it existed in the 80s. I think somehow this came about somewhere in the 90s, if I remember correctly. Early, late, late um, 80s, early 90s. Yeah, I believe that's correct. Okay. And I'm here to tell you that, you know, the Federal Department of Education didn't come into existence till 1978, I believe. I graduated high school in 1991, and I may not sound smart, but I think I got a good education in the state of Indiana sure. without the Federal Department of Education's uh, <laughs> interference. Right. <laughs> and so I am a big proponent in the idea that we have to get education decentralized we've got to unhook from the federal government we've got to decentralize education from state government because the fact that we can no longer elect the state superintendent of public instruction that that now that's an appointed position by the governor yeah uh really disturbs me yeah me too as governor I'm going to have to appoint the first Secretary of Education in Indiana. But I don't like the fact that that's the way it is. I believe that the citizens should still be allowed to vote on that. Yes, I agree with that. And so, uh, here again, I think we need to decentralize education. I think we need to get the power back into the hands of parents. I think the accountability needs to be back in the hands of local school boards. You know, one of the reasons why school boards are not, if you notice when you go vote, school board uh, candidates don't have an R, a D, or an L next to their name. Right. And there's, a, there's supposed to be a reason for that. Education should not be a political thing. And we have over-politicized the education of our children, and we need to undo that. On the topic of education, what are your thoughts on state money going to private schools, and what are your thoughts on school vouchers? First of all, there's no such thing as state money or public money. It's our money. They took it from us. Yes. Right? Yep. Secondly, the original wording or, or the, the wording in the Indiana State Constitution says that the state will provide tuition-free, a set of common schools. Now, over the years, here again, 
government's gotten too big. It's overdone its its stuff. It's become way too expansive. And the money has become a big issue. Right. I believe that here again, because we've politicized the education of our children entirely too much in the state of Indiana, we now have a scenario where we've had all these statutes written that create school choice. Now, I believe that school choice is extremely important and that only parents should decide where their children go to school, not the government. Right. I believe that in our current societal condition, where we're at today with how we've uh, written all these extra legislations, all these extra statutes that do all these extra things, that if they're going to assign a dollar amount to a child, that that dollar amount should follow that child wherever that child goes sure, to school. Now, there are a lot of homeschoolers who are very leery. They're like, no, we don't want the money because the minute you take the money, then the government can tell you what to teach and how to teach. And I'm going to tell you right now, the only reason that exists is because we've allowed it. Right. <laughs> and we, the people, have got to stop being scared of our government. Yes. That's, you know, I, again, I think it was Jefferson that said, when the people fear the government, there is tyranny. Yep. When the government fears the people, there is liberty. And a parent should never fear that if the government is taking taxes and then saying, here, these taxes are going to pay for your child's education. Now, whether I agree with the taxes being taken or not, as long as we're in a situation where we take taxes and then we say we're going to pay for education, then we the people need to stand up and say that money is supposed to be allocated for a child's education and wherever the parent wants to have the child educated, that's where the money goes. And now here again, if a school or if a homeschooling parent says we don't want the money, that's fine. They can turn down the money. But this concept, first of all, what I want to know is, if you, don't, if you don't let the money follow the child, when the child leaves the public school, what's being done with that money? Right. Where's that money going? What's it being spent on? <laughs> so I, I, here again, you know, we've, we've gotten to the place where we accept all of this overreach by government, all of these excessive authoritarian rules right. that government is the boss, <laughs> and that's wrong, yeah. and we got to fix it. Now, we can, we, we've let it get this way over a period of 240 years in America. We're not going to fix it <laughs> overnight, sure, but we've got to start, Yeah, because you're right, we're going in the wrong direction. Right. And, you know, you can see the cliff. <laughs> but if you keep marching towards it just because the guy in the front says, follow me. Sure. Uh, it's time to stop. <laughs> right. Abs absolutely. I, I and, absolutely and you know agree. what? 
And and one of the things I've told people, all of you know, a lot of people say, Well, you can't get all the stuff done that you're talking about doing. Those are goals, folks. Yeah. These are these are this is where I want to go. Sure. Am I gonna get there on all of them? Probably not. Am I gonna get there on some of them? I believe so. Absolutely. But the thing is, is if you aim at nothing, you will hit nothing. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I, and when people say, Well, how are you gonna how are you gonna eliminate the personal property tax on your primary residence? Well, we're gonna cut spending, cut all the BS out of government. Yeah. And I'm not talking about entitlements or or you know, and now people say, Well, are you gonna cut money out of education? Well, we may be redirecting a lot of that money to get it into the classroom because right now uh, I, I posted on Facebook the other day, the, the, the last two biennial years of budget appropriations for the department of education in Indiana. Mm -hmm. And people started looking at it and, and commenting and they were appalled. <laughs> What's this? Why is that in there? Don't ask me. Call your state representative. <laughs> right. Call your state senator. Ask them why that's in there. Yeah. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, it, you know, here again, and, and I, I apologize, kind of a long-winded answer. No, you're fine. But it's something I'm passionate about. Yes. I believe we're getting our ass kicked by our government, and we're taking it. Asking for more. And, and and asking for more. And the reality is, we're bigger than them. You are absolutely right. Absolutely right. I have had such a hard time trying to convince people of this exact concept right here from the local government to the state government and up to the federal government. But what you're saying is exactly right. We're letting government kick our ass. Yeah. And we shouldn't be. Yes, absolutely. I'm right there with you. Uh, hey, let me ask you a question. Just a moment ago, you brought up property tax, and you brought up your thoughts on property tax a little bit. And I know that we went in great detail on your views on property tax during our second interview. Matter of fact, I would highly recommend listeners, if you haven't listened to that second interview please go back and listen to it. If you haven't listened to the first interview, please go back and listen to it as well. Matter of fact, I will put links to both the first and second interview in the summary of this episode so you'll easily be able to click on those and listen to both interviews. But along the lines of different taxes, I had a listener write in and ask your thoughts and views on what could be done to lower the registration fees and will taxes that citizens have to pay in the state of Indiana. She said she just feels like people who have bought newer vehicles are being punished for doing such. Everybody's getting screwed. Yeah. Pardon the, no, the you're phrase. good. Absolutely. Yeah. But why in the world do I have to <laughs> pay for permission to drive my car every year? <laughs> I have to pay the government for the privilege of buying gasoline. <laughs> then I have to pay the government for the privilege of registering my car. And let's say 
And, and don't forget, you pay sales tax on that car, sure. don't you? Yep, absolutely. So you pay your you pay your sales tax on the car, then you have to turn around and pay an excise tax to register the car and get a license plate. Yep. Not once, but every stinking year. For what purpose? Yeah. What does that pay for? To keep the BMV running? <laughs> I'll tell you what right now, and you can mark my words on this, I believe we need to combine the activities of the BNV with the Department of Transportation mm. and streamline that agency. Mm, yeah. Take those two agencies, make them one, and then make them more efficient and streamline. And one of the ways you can do that is by stop giving them so much gum money. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, these are, now here again, I'm just a simple Hoosier, right? Right. I, I'm not... I'm not one of these fancy college economists who who have come out and said that, oh, you know, we can't do any of this stuff. This uh, that's un that's uh, no no no. You know what? I had a college economist here in the state of Indiana donate to my campaign. Right. So not every college economist <laughs> is a liberal who believes we should just spend more and more and more. Right. I apologize if I've offended any college economists, <laughs> but we've got a problem here. Yeah. Right. Every time I talk about cutting, you know, g cutting taxes, somebody says, well, what tax are you going to raise to offset that? And, you know, after I throw up in my mouth, <laughs> because it, it makes me sick that we have been conditioned yeah. to believe that the government has to have all this money. It, it just it, it just blows my mind. They've got us hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. And the reality is, is that we can cut a lot of these taxes. We can get rid of a lot of these fees and stop letting government. I, I think Mitch Daniels once said about the federal government that it was morbidly obese. Yeah. Well, the Indiana state government is morbidly obese as well, <laughs> yes. and we need to put it on a diet. And the best way to do that is to cut its intake of cash. That absolutely sounds like something that should happen. I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, I have just a few more questions for you, and we'll let you get back to your afternoon. One of the things that's been happening in 2020 all over the United States is a concern about this year's election process because of the possibility of voter fraud concerning quote-unquote mail-in ballots. In the state of Indiana, we have nothing different happening. Our absentee ballots are going to remain the same. The only thing that really changes is there's a longer period of time that voters have to submit a request asking for an absentee ballot, as well as the restrictions for an absentee ballot have been lifted a bit. So nothing really changes in the state of Indiana. However, there have been instances where there have been issues already. For example, I'm in Muncie, Delaware County, and just within the last week or two, there have been a couple instances where voters 
have been mailed absentee ballots that they did not request, which means somebody had their information, they had their name, their date of birth, their address, and they were able to go into the system and select that they wanted absentee ballots. And that causes a little bit of concern. With that and everything that we're hearing on the national level, let me ask you, as a candidate running for office in 2020, do you or your team have any concerns about the legitimacy of this election? Are you concerned about possible fraud or any issue with the absentee, quote-unquote, mail-in ballots? First of all, when the two old parties control elections Mm -hmm. and we had straight ticket voting and i've heard stories where people have told me that they went in and that the person walked them up and literally told them if you want to vote straight ticket republican just push this button just like this yep and they push the button for them yep and then they clear it basically influencing that person's thought process. Absolutely. Now, I'm sure that the Democrats probably do that in Democrat-dominant areas as well. I'm not saying that just one party does it or the other. Sure. Um, I will tell you that I have personally, I have for years had very low confidence in our voting process (laughs) because of the way that it's controlled and the way that things are run. And all of the problems that every major election cycle, there are stories, is there an answer? I don't know. Right. Is there a better way? I don't know. Um, I will tell you that I am a proponent for your listeners that get WIBC if they've ever listened to Tony Katz. Oh, yeah. Uh, Tony talks about having a 24-hour election cycle. Yes, where the polls are open for 24 hours. I'm a big proponent of that. Yep. I'm also a proponent of getting rid of, of uh, straight ticket voting. I yes. think it's a bad thing. Yep. Uh, because here again, people are voting for an organization or, or an oligarchy, if you will, instead of voting for office holders. Yep. Uh, I'm also uh, of the opinion that while I do not like the mail-in ballot thing, I believe, uh, having been in the Navy, uh, I believe that there's a valid need for a request for an absentee ballot. I do not have a problem with absentee ballots, and I personally wish we would get rid of the, uh, you have to give us an excuse or a reason why you want one. Yeah. Here again, I don't think we should have to ask the government for permission to vote absentee if we want to. And as long as the absentee ballot system, which we've had in place for for years and years in Indiana, if it's been valid before, it's valid now, and you shouldn't have to uh, give them a reason why you want to do it. Yeah. But I will tell you that I have lots of, as a a, uh, software engineer and a project manager, I have a lot of concerns with how we do elections in Indiana. I think there's a lot of room for improvement. Now, I think that there have been improvements. Don't get me wrong. Sure. And I don't think that everything is completely corrupt. I mean, you know, we're not other states in the Midwest that start with the letter I. (laughs) Um, 
but I believe that there, I believe there's a lot of room for improvement. And so I'm always concerned about how well we do our process. Yeah, I think that we're going to be in for an interesting time over the next couple days, weeks, and months as this election comes to an end. And then we start the process of trying to figure out who all has won, not only on the national levels, but also at the state level and in some cases at the local level. I think that this 2020 election season is going to be no different than anything else that we've faced this year. I think it's going to be an interesting ride. I think it's going to be scary. I think it's going to be exciting. And we're just going to have to do what we can, keep our heads down and do the work and hope and pray for the best. All right. Well, we just have one more question for you. And this question came in from tons of different listeners who wanted to hear your thoughts on Indiana's right to work. I believe that the relationship between an employer and an employee should be between the employer and the employee. <laughs> the government should not be in it. Yeah. I believe that if a group of employees want to get together with an employer and the employer and the group of employees agree to negotiate collectively, that's between the group of employees and the employer. Sure. If the employer later decides to hire somebody and say this person doesn't have the same contract with me that this group over here does, then they need to work that out amongst themselves. Now, the minute that a contract is in dispute, then obviously that's what we have a court system for. Sure. But passing laws that either create what we what what I would call a scenario whereby uh, individuals are not protected against uh, well let me let me be very direct about this for sure. example if an employer chooses to terminate someone that's the employer's right but if the state of Indiana is going to provide unemployment insurance they should not be going back to the employer and saying, well, did you terminate this person for a good reason or for not a good reason? Because whether they terminated them or not should not determine whether that person can get unemployment. Right. Whether now, if the person did something horrendous, then they're probably not going to be able to get another job. Right. And unemployment insurance is supposed to stop after a period of time. But we've got way too much government uh, deciding when unions are okay, when unions aren't, uh, yeah. whether or not employees have any form of recourse. You know, if my employer does something to me inappropriately, I should be able to get an attorney and say, hey, can I sue them for that? Sure. But all the, the right to work and all these different, you know, let's get the government involved in, in the, the private contract between two individuals or between uh, a group of individuals. It just makes things 
it, it, it picks winners and losers. Right. And it's a bad thing in my estimation. I hear you. Well, Don, that does it for the questions I have. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you would like the listeners to know before we wrap up? There was a poll that came out about three weeks ago. Uh, it had the incumbent at 36%, the Democratic challenger at 30%, and it had me at 24%. Yes. And a lot of people have said, what if I vote for Rainwater and the Democrat wins? And I want to say this, the way to make sure that doesn't happen is to go out and tell all your friends, your family, your, your co-workers, your enemies, people you don't know have never met on the street, tell everybody, go look up rainwaterforindiana.com. Check this guy out. He believes in limited government and individual freedom. He wants to, to give government back to the people and make sure that people vote for me. Right. Then we don't have to worry about it. Because if I win, the other two won't. I couldn't have said it better. And I'll be just perfectly honest with you, Don, and all of the listeners. I hope that you're staring down an easy victory because I personally see Indiana is at a major, major crossroads here. And I hope that everybody else out there that's listening to this, that's living in Indiana, that works in Indiana, that plays in Indiana, and that votes in Indiana, realizes that Eric Holcomb and the other guy that's running the ghost campaign just isn't what Indiana needs to dig us out of this major, major hole that we have been put into by some actions that aren't really anybody's fault like the pandemic, but then the response to the pandemic has just absolutely been atrocious. And we have not had an action plan that's been worth a damn. We have not had leadership that has been worth a damn. And it's time, it's well past time, that Indiana has a real leader leading us in a direction that's better for the Hoosier of this state. Indiana is the greatest state in the 50 United States, and it's time that somebody starts acting like it. It's time that somebody starts caring about us Hoosiers and about this state that we live in and starts acting like they give a damn. And I just don't think that that's the Republican incumbent, and I don't believe that that's the Democrat challenger. I do, though, believe that that person is Donald Rainwater. And Don, I got to say, I absolutely, again, want to thank you for your time. I want to thank you for what I believe is a, is a budding friendship. And I, I want to say that you are welcome here anytime. If you have something that you want to get out to the audience, if you need to spread your message, you're always welcome here. And I hope that we'll be talking to you again real soon. And I'm definitely looking for forward to talking to you as governor-elect and then governor of the state of Indiana. Well, I appreciate it, and, and the reality is, is you know, uh, people say, tell me good luck, uh, and I say, well, good luck to all of us. 
You said it. That sounds like a perfect place to end this episode. I, again, want to thank you for coming on the previous two times and again during this episode. Well, I appreciate it, and I always enjoy it. It's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been speaking with Donald Rainwater, the Libertarian candidate for governor of the state of Indiana. I want to say thank you to him and his team. Please make sure that you've shared this show with everyone you know. Make sure that you and all of those people also have heard the first interview and the second interview. Make sure that you and everyone you know is registered to vote. By the time this episode airs, it will be very close to the voters' registration for the 2020 election being over. Voters' registration for the 2020 election ends at 11.59 on Monday, October 5th. You can make sure that you are registered and all of your information is correct by going to www.indianavoters.com. That's www.indianavoters.com. The information will be in the summary of this episode. Again, that's www.indianavoters. Make sure that you are registered. Also, early voting begins Tuesday, October 6th. If you want to vote early in the 28 days before the election and you need information about that, please contact your local county clerk's office. You'll also contact the county clerk's office if you need information about absentee ballots. You only have a certain amount of time that you'll need to get that request in. You'll also contact them if you need information about one of the traveling boards, and that's for folks that are homebound and in bed uh, or need uh, need a assistance, you'll have to contact the county clerk's office. You can also contact us here at Perception is Reality, and I'll try to get you any help that you could possibly need. If I don't know the answer, I will steer you in the right direction. Just briefly, again, real quick, some important dates that you might need to know. Voters registration again ends on Monday, October 5th, 2020 at 11.59 p.m. Early voting begins the very next day on Tuesday, October 6th, 2020. The election day this year is Tuesday, November 3rd, 2020, between the hours of 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. Make sure if you have any questions that you reach out to your local county clerk's office. They can help you with whatever questions you might have. As always, you are more than welcome to contact us here at the show, and I'll try to provide you as much information as I possibly can, or at least steer you in the right direction. Please share the show with everyone you know, letting people know that we can be found on all major podcasts podcast hosting sites by looking for Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey or by simply searching Bilbrey Podcast. That's B-I-L-B-R-E-Y Podcast. Also check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Bilbrey 318. Until next time, stay active, stay involved, make sure that you're educated and others around you are. As always, be safe, God bless, and I'll look forward to talking to you again real soon. You've been listening to Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey. Bilbrey. Bilbrey.
Tune in, like, and subscribe at perception.fireside.fm. Hook up on Facebook at facebook.com backslash bilbury318 and on Twitter at PISRBilbury. Email khbilbury at gmail.com. Or get off your butt and call the show at 765-546-9796. Till next time, remember, perception Perception is is reality. Reality. This has been Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey, where we aim for better government through citizen involvement.